Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Turning a Moment into a Movement. I am Jay Love, and I represent the Justice for Gerard movement. Um, Gerard is my son who was wrongfully incarcerated for a crime that he didn't do, had no knowledge of, innocent, and he went to prison. And so because of that journey with him and all the people that I met on that journey, mothers, loved ones, um, of who had family members that were incarcerated. Um, because of all of that, I created this platform called Turning a Moment into a Movement, where we come here on Fridays at 6 to, um, p.m. to discuss wrongful convictions, how they happen, um, how easy they can happen, how no one is exempt from a wrongful conviction. And we come and talk about that. We also talk about other things that's happening in our communities. And um, we come here to motivate, inspire, and educate. And so thank you for joining us. I want to thank, um, say hello to all those who are watching on YouTube, on Twitter, and who may listen to this later or watch it later. Um, hello, and thank you for joining us. And I want to also say, if you want to keep up with us, like us on YouTube, subscribe. 
click the notification bell. And every time we come on or do something live, you'll be notified. So thank you for joining us. Um, I want to put up our mission statement because that says everything. Um, here it is. Our mission is to bring awareness to the wrongful conviction of Gerard and all others who are wrongly convicted, over-sentenced, mentally, mentally ill, medically frail in our communities, to inspire, organize, and educate all communities about the need to disrupt systems, policies, and patterns of the criminal legal system that leads to wrongful convictions. That's why we're here. And so thank you for joining us again. I'm going to bring on Reverend Tia because I see she's here. Hi, Reverend Tia. Well, hello there. How are you? I'm good. How about yourself? Oh, I'm wonderful. I'm so excited to be here. And you know what? We are living in times where um, our, it is about our beingness, Jay. Who are we about? What are we about? And and sharing that light and being that truth. And um, I'm telling you, I'm so grateful to to you and for the how you have led us and led so many as we continue. And it's not a fight. It's just the realization of the justice that is supposed to already be ours. Yes, we have it. And I want us to, to really begin to behold the fact that we already have it. We already are the truth and the justice that we are looking for. And we start with our families first. So, I mean, I'm doing this all the time um, with uh, as the founder of The Choice Zone, whether I'm helping people individually or collectively is to demonstrate the kingdom within, demonstrate who you are and being able to, to be the max, maximize who you are. And I always say every day now, I am the highest version of myself already mm -hmm. and, and realize that every day. Uh, so I'm so glad to be here, you know, of course, with G100. If you're looking to join women from all over the world, G100 Michigan is looking for you. Get in touch with me. We're on Facebook. And also, um, of course, um, my love, always transforming love community, our spiritual community. And uh, did I, am I missing one? I am missing one. And that's Michigan Coalition of Human Rights. <laughs> and uh, so I'm always at the forefront, bringing, collaborating with people so that we can realize justice on so many platforms. Thanks, Jay. Thank you, Rabbitia. So I see Attorney Mac is here. Yeah, yeah. I'm ready. Yeah. Let's bring him in. <laughs> Hi, Attorney Mac. Beautiful, beautiful black women. A pleasure to be with y'all again today. You know, so it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. Well, all I can do is co-sign what my sister Reverend Tia said, you know, here in the quest for justice and want to explain some things about myself. Uh, Attorney Hugo J. Mack, Esquire. And as I always tell you, 40,000 members of my profession in the state of Michigan. I'm the only one coming to you tonight, not having parachuted down from heaven, but worked my way up from hell through Jesus Christ to be with you, you see. Uh, fully restored through the precious blood of God and Jesus Christ. I know what it's like to pay a debt not owed. I know what it's like to have a penitentiary experience, but I also know what it's like to live day by day trusting God. 
God and only God. And so that's why I'm on this forum, um, always praising God. Uh, all good things come from God and for me through the person of Jesus Christ. So for me in my career, before my penitentiary experience, I was a public defender, chief assistant public defender in Washington County. I made it my business to represent and protect, defend people who could not represent and protect themselves. And so that, that, that was my mission and it continues to be my mission today. But, you know, even through great wrong and injustice, God can have greater good occur, you know. And my scripture teaches me about a man named Joseph. That man's own people did him wrong, did his own people did him wrong, you know, put that man into slavery, wanted that man killed. What's wrong with y'all? Y'all crazy? You know, yeah, okay, okay, okay. The man was a little bit self, self-confident, self over self-confident, okay. His daddy gave him that fancy coat. Yes, okay, so what, so what, you know? And so the man, you know, <laughs> thinking that I'm the youngest, you know, normally the youngest is supposed to be the meekest, but he's the youngest and he say, look, I'm kicking butt and taking names. All y'all gonna bow down before me. You know the story, you know, Reverend Tia and, and you, J-Love, PK that you are, you know the story, you know the story. So, 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 so what I'm saying is out of great injustice came great good because the day came with vindication for Joseph and he confronted him, people did him wrong. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good that this day many people's lives may be saved. If it don't be for Joseph, there is no Israel. There is no Israel. You know, so I say that to say that there's nothing new under the sun. What happened yesterday will happen today. There were Goliaths yesterday, the Goliaths today. Goliath was killed by righteous people and his brothers, by the way, were killed back in the day. And all of us here, people within the sound of my voice, our collective voices, we are giant killers today. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Because greater is he in us than he who's in the world. Yes, we are. So, you know, I encourage people all the time and tell them, do not give up hope. Victory is just one heartbeat away. And to win, we don't have to stand forever. We need to stand one second more than our opponent. <laughs> That's what we need to do. Stand one second more than, than our opponent. So be encouraged. A lot of my practices represent poor and injured women. Unfortunately, a disproportionate percentage of them are women of color, uh, which historically has been a problem in this in this nation. The, 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 the black woman is the most abused demographic in the history of the nation. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. So, you know, um, I'm, I'm very sensitive to that. And we, and we continue to fight for justice and, and fight for what's right. So I'm proud to be here, Jay Love. And, you know, uh, that's what I have to say, except for. Mm. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, here we go. If you find yourself on Trouble Boulevard, push, pull, toe, drag that hoopity to Max Street. Max Street. Park your car in my virtual underground garage and there call the Freedom Line, 734-239-3118. The Freedom Line, 734-239-3118. The Freedom Line, 734 2393118hmaclaw.com is your hookup hmaclaw.com is your hookup hmaclaw.com is your hookup and jay love for the benefit of the listening audience mr and mrs america all the ships at sea in order to give you an opportunity to record all that information uh in a somewhat of a cappella uh a mute fashion today excuse me for 30 seconds or so while i do the boogaloo
Reverend Tia, you know this for you. <laughs> J Love, all the rest of y'all out there. Pulp Fiction, Batman. <laughs> Coming into the home stretch now, y'all. Okay, J Love, I think that ought to be enough time for us to record that information. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to tell you this right now. Yes. Silence. All black people, all people everywhere, good nature. Silence. Listen, if you don't want to win, don't come in. You tried to rest. Now come to the best. Now you have a choice. Come on inside to victory or stay outside in the cold waiting for government cheese and legal constipation. The choice is yours. The choice is yours. And J-Love, for all these haters, all you people writing J-Love, trying to contact J-Love, telling her, kick him off the show. He ain't no good, J-Love. He unpredictable. You know, no, J-Love, you can't trust him. He don't know what he's talking about. He's dangerous. For all you haters, I'm going to tell you all in the words of my late cousin Bernie. I ain't scared of none of y'all. So understand that right now. I ain't scared of none of y'all. So you see what I'm saying? This is what I'm telling you right now. And J-Love, I'm going to tell you this right now. If people ask you, J-Love, with mm -hmm. that crazy lawyer on there, did he really endorse all that craziness he just talking? Yes, this is all you haters. you damn straight I endorsed it. This endorsement brought to you by attorney Hugo J. Mack Esquire. Dr. Hugo J. Mack Esquire, I might add. The one true king, the one true king of Russia, Scotland, and Harlem. And J-Love, with that, all I have to say, I love you. I love you too, Attorney Mac. <laughs> Thank you. Thank <laughs> what you. a great introduction. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know now they know. <laughs> okay. So, Attorney Mac, I'll I'll be looking forward to that <laughs> in the beginning. Because it gets so serious afterwards. You know Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Amen. Right. Amen. I have a balance. <laughs> Amen. So, <laughs> so Reverend T and Attorney Matt, I remember when we came on here like what two almost three years ago. Mm -hmm. And um to talk about wrongful convictions, right? Yeah. And uh I think our first our first show was on wrongful conviction day. And so um um and because of that we just continued on. And um, I remember we did in the beginning a lot of different shows and we were breaking down all the uh, facts and of things that can happen that would lead a wrong, to a wrongful conviction. And one of the one of the things was eyewitness misidentification. Like that's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. It's like one of the top reasons why innocent people go to prison. Mm -hmm. I witnessed said it wrong or somebody somehow somebody picked the wrong person right so today I'm gonna bring on our guest we're gonna talk about it we're gonna talk about his journey and we're gonna get in deep because what I want to drive home today is I want people to know that this wrongful convictions can happen to anybody and they're happening every day and they're happening all across the United States mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. And for some reason, a lot of times we don't, we look at the numbers that people gives us 2%, you know, they're trying to say 2%, but I truly feel 
because of all these things that's going on, that there are so many more than 2% of the people that are in prison are innocent. Now, we're not saying that people don't do things or don't commit crime, but we're talking about people who haven't did anything and they're in prison. And so that's what we're going to talk about. I want to bring on our guest who was in prison for 35 years for something he didn't do. That wow. just recently came home in April, who was here with us last week, Mr. Dwayne Brooks. Greetings, Dwayne. Hi, everybody. Amen. Amen, brother. Hello. Hello. How are you? How are you today, Dwayne? Oh, I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. <laughs> I'm so glad to see you. <laughs> to see you. I remember when I first heard about you, Lisa Riley who I connected with um, on different platforms, she was talking to you and she was telling people about your story. And I was so um, intrigued about it. Um, she was working very hard to advocate for you and then your sister and then um, Mr. James Jones and other people that I met along this journey who are all advocating for you. And I'm just like, so when you, when um, they was announcing that you were coming home, I was just like, oh my God, finally. And so I'm so honored that you're on our platform and that you're here with us to tell the story because I really want people to understand that this can happen to anybody. It's just not, you know, um, it happened to women, it happens to mothers, um, it happens to men, black men, grandfathers, uncles, anybody could be a person, an innocent person in that prison. Yes, in fact, uh, Jay Love, um, it can happen to anybody and it happened to, to me. I mean, literally didn't have anything to do with it, wasn't there. Um, I mean, no correlation no connection and they put me in prison face well they had me facing the death penalty with no evidence you know because anytime there's a wrongful conviction they have no evidence mm -hmm. people need to understand that anytime there's a wrongful conviction somebody's uh, exonerated they had no evidence from the beginning mm -hmm. so then you have to realize that other things come into play and those other things are that these prosecutors around this country are breaking the law, knowingly breaking the law to obtain these wrongful convictions. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have any evidence against a person and you're taking them to, to trial, um, facing whatever they're facing, you know, up to the death penalty, like I was facing, you have no, you have no evidence. So now what they're doing is they're going outside the law, they're bending the law, they're breaking the law to try to convince 12 minds that this person who was absolutely innocent did this crime. Right. So as we spoke about before, you know, it's, it's the government, the United States versus or the state, Michigan versus or Ohio versus or New York versus you. Mm -hmm. They love Miss Tia Little John Taylor. Hugo Mack, the state, the government, and all its resources versus you. 
Right. And in my case, versus me. That's right. That's right. So, you know, people. When you say, uh, and right there at this point, when you say this, the state, like the state of Michigan versus you and their resources. All their resources. All of their resources. That means every department, every doctor, every investigator, everything that they got mm-hmm. versus you. Mm-hmm. Versus you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Versus you. That's, mm-hmm. that's a hard. Yeah, right, right. And, and, and if I might interject, and their connections to the federal government. So you see, the, the, the state is an entity of the nation. And I'm telling you, in my experience with prosecutors you know, and police, they've got profilers they have access to, Federal Bureau of Investigation records, yes. you know, all manner of, for, you know, the, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, all right, has got the most sophisticated laboratory crime mechanism fighting uh, mechanisms trillions of American dollars gone. I didn't, I don't mean, I don't mean to interrupt the brother, but I want, I want y'all to know, and I'm sure he agrees with this. It's the state and their cohorts in the federal government that, you know, and they will bring that down against you like a laser beam, a laser beam, you know, seen it thousands of times. The man speaks the truth. Mm-hmm. He speaks the truth. So when people say, you know, uh, you must've did something, uh, innocent people don't go to prison. We want you to know that your little self mm-hmm. against this big that's right. <laughs> system that's right. has has doesn't have a chance. That's right. That's why those pay the plea deal trap. That's right. It's such a big thing. That's okay, right. Okay, Dwayne, go on. I just want to I want I just want to drive that home because we've been talking about this, but I really want people to understand how it can happen to you. Mm-hmm. It can happen to you. Okay, Dwayne. Yes, I mean, um, <laughs> that 2% that you that you just uh, quoted, yeah, you're right, it's higher than that. Because just out of um, the county that I got convicted in alone, they have had over 50 exonerations. And they're not even the biggest county in, the, in that state. Mm-mm. And on top of that, they got more exonerations, wrongful uh, convictions um, than all the other counties in the state combined. Hmm. And nobody's raising the eyebrow. Mm-hmm. The Department of Justice hasn't launched an investigation. An investigation, you know. So, as Max said, they're all in cahoots together. Mm-hmm. They know, they absolutely know what each other are doing. And they and they aid each other and help each other in it, mm-hmm. you know. And and as uh, Mr. Max said, you know, they they brought in um, federal agents mm-hmm. at my trial to testify to statements that weren't statements. They had no signed statements from anybody, but they just came in and and, and testified that, well, yeah. Uh, Conferring to my notes, um, I think that such and such said this. Mm-hmm. And these are federal agents on the stand in front of the jury, mm-hmm. lying to make it seem like I had done something. Mm-hmm. Quoting somebody saying that they think that somebody said or 
from their notes, somebody said, with no no signed statements. Nobody, see, people have to, have to understand. Nobody that got on the stand at my trial said that I committed a crime, except the one person who was the, the prosecution star witness, who where now we know that the evidence is out. We didn't, you know, we didn't know then that all the evidence that they really had pointed to him. Mm -hmm. Nobody testified that I, I committed a crime, that I did anything wrong, that they seen me, that I was there, except him. So the prosecutor, knowing that he didn't have any evidence, resorted to telling the jury from his own mouth with no evidence and or nobody to get on the stand and, 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 and testify to it, telling the jury lies about me, mm -hmm. you know, to paint a picture. And, and I understood then, you know, I, mean, I heard I heard the term, you know, my whole life coming up as a child that, you know, that term um, framed, I understood the, the, the term then. I was being framed. We had a picture on the wall, blank canvas, and they painted me in it. Right. And, so, okay. Go ahead, Dwayne. And had the evidence that I didn't do it from the very beginning, which we nobody knew, you know, to 33 and a half years later when we found it. Um, but nobody knew that they had this evidence and had that hid it and withheld it or suppressed it or whatever the term is, you know, but knowingly did it. So they knowingly broke the law because the law had been in effect since 1963 from the United States Supreme Court, uh, uh, Maryland versus Brady. It had been in effect since 1963. So at that time, that was 25 years. So they absolutely knew they, they were breaking the law by withholding this evidence. Mm-hmm. And see, one thing, with another thing with wrongful convictions, when they, when the prosecutor decides that you're the person, it doesn't matter if anything else come up, they're going to build that case all on you. Um. <laughs> all the evidence they had pointed to his star witness and other people. Mm -hmm. They completely ignored that and changed the narrative to make it seem like it was me. Right. So, um, Dwayne, what year are we talking about? I was uh, I was incarcerated in 1988. So before. Before your incarceration, what were you, what were you doing? Um, who was Dwayne before all of this happened? Um, I was a young man, you know, trying to find my way in, in this world. I, I worked a job since I was 15. I, I, I consciously decided to work, you know, and um, I worked a job since I was 15, one job or another, until I, I, I was incarcerated. Mm -hmm. And um I had some talents, you know, um, they didn't come to fruition, so I don't really speak on them, but, you know, I was pursuing some things, you know, um, in entertainment and, um, I was a gifted, uh, a boxer. And if you look at, uh, the first fight with Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier, the referee in that fight was my trainer, Arthur McCanty. And he was pushing me to turn pro. You know, and, you know, I was just trying to find my way. I was a young man, young black man, you know, 
but I wasn't a criminal. I wasn't in the streets. I'm not from uh, Bed-Stuy. I'm not from Harlem. I'm not from any of the uh, uh, areas that, you know, have stereotypes tagged to them. I'm from Long Island, New York, Uniondale, where we had two pro teams, the, the, the New, excuse me, the New York Nets and New York Islanders. We had a um, military installation, a Division One college, mostly white, middle class. You know, wasn't a criminal. Went to good schools. You know, got a pretty good education because I was going to predominantly white schools. So they can do this to anybody. They took a they took a they took a speeding ticket that I got back in 1987 and made it seem like I was Jeffrey Dahmer for having a speeding ticket. He was 25 miles over over the limit. Because they had no evidence. Yeah, Dwayne, um, it's important. I'm glad you said all this because a lot of times people believe that because they grow up in a certain area, because around a certain people and maybe predominantly white area, that that exempts them from, from wrongful convictions, that it means that they're safe. And, <laughs> and this is what we want people to wake up to is that this is not a safety net. And I, I believe that through history, African-Americans have often run outside of of the culture in order to find some quote-unquote safety measure to to ensure their success and and you know for some people it is a facade until something happens and then they realize oh you treat me like everybody else or what i hear people say sometimes oh i'm not like other black people what does that mean what does that mean what does that mean? You know, that and mean? that shows the ignorance, you know, that's within the community. And so I'm so glad that you said that because people have to wake up and understand that, that this this can happen to everyone. We have to safeguard our children, listen to our the young men and the young women and really be in their corner and and then vote, participate in a process that is not really for us. Yeah. Unless we participate in it. And <laughs> unless we do something. Yeah. Can I can can I just add in something on that, J Love? Go ahead, Attorney Matt. Uh, so true, Reverend Tia and good brother. But another aspect of that is in trying to get to that safety net, thinking that we're safe here, even a, to me, a even more invidious aspect of that is is in not only being in that safety net, but actually adopting the attitudes of people in that safety net. You know, I believe, I don't know if it was Malcolm that I heard talk or one time, you know, he talked about difference between crows and bluebirds. Somebody was saying crows and bluebirds, okay? Now, I'm saying a crow may not like the neighborhood they live in, okay? Up in some old pine tree or whatever, you know, a bunch of crows, overcrowded, nests everywhere, okay? Ain't no food source. And that crow might go to another tree, a maple tree, and say, now I'm safe here because, first of all, there aren't any other crows here but me, and there's a bunch of bluebirds here, and it's a better tree, okay? Now, the problem with that is 
is not just in a crow not realizing he's got big crow feet, he got a big crow bill, he got long black crow feathers, and he's much bigger than a bluebird. See, so there's no way that crow, despite what he may think, is going to blend in with them bluebirds. It's not going to happen. Okay. So, and then, but even a more invidious part in nature is when that crow starts identifying as a bluebird, <laughs> identifying bluebird, and therefore will look at other crows and say, You ain't nothing but a dirty black crow with that dirty black bill and them dirty black feathers and them dirty big ass crow feet. And then be the spokesman for the bluebirds to criticize other crows and put them down. Thereby saying, it's not the bluebirds saying it. It's one of the more dirty crows saying it about themselves. It must be true. Okay? It must be true. So, you know, you've heard Dr. Mack's version of Animal Farm right now. Okay? You've just heard that. So, the problem is, for all you people out there, all the people that are crows, okay, don't be ashamed of being a crow. A crow is a noble, beautiful bird. The Navy used a crow to symbolize who they are. A beautiful bird. Stop trying to be a bluebird. You do not fit in. <laughs> the only way you can talk to the bluebird is as a strong crow. You understand? As a strong crow in your crow community, and then you can mix and give them respect. You will never talk with a bluebird as long as you continue to think you're a bluebird yourself. So uh, that's it. And Jay love to hate mail to come in, but I don't give a <laughs> damn. <laughs> I'm like, what an analogy. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, there was a question in the feed, Dwayne, and it, uh, Sandra said, were you linked to any white women? Sometimes that's why you're framed. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, wow. Uh, never, never thought about that angle. <laughs> um, when we Ooh. moved to Ohio, um, <laughs> We moved to an affluent area. Matter of fact, it was a um, more affluent area than I came from, um, Shaker Heights, Ohio. Um, and I did have, you know, some relations with, with white girls, but I can't see how that ties into it. But who knows, man? Who knows? Because they look at, they look at um, young black men and especially the ones that they see because they can tell they, they, you know, in their minds, they're dealing with animals, but they can tell when they're dealing with a different type of animal, you know, um, they see the potential in you, even if you, even if you don't see it in yourself, you know, they seen the potential in um, the brother that uh, uh, the Reverend keeps quoting. I mean, the, the attorney Mac keeps quoting uh, Malcolm X. They seen his potential. They seen mm -hmm. the potential in even some rappers like, you know, Tupac. He started talking about getting our own political party and this, that, and the third. And next thing you know, he's dead. So they they know, you know, even though they look at us as animals, they know when they're dealing with a different type of animal. Mm -hmm. And when they get the suspicion that you are a noble person, they don't like it. Right. When they get the suspicion that you are not assimilating to being a nigger, they don't like it. Yeah. And they will come at you 
from every angle. If if you if if you if you're even uh, articulate, they don't like a, an articulate black person. Mm-hmm. Now, how how is somebody offended by somebody being articulate? But this is this is this is the syndrome. This is the the mind state of who we're dealing with. So they seen in me that they were dealing with a different type of animal and it wasn't personal. Now I know that I I thought it was personal for a whole lot of years, but it wasn't personal. It's just what they do. It's just ingrained in their system. And, you know, when they come across any black person, period, that they can incarcerate, they're going to incarcerate you Mm -hmm. by all means. Exactly. And you're right. I was just reading through the feed and um, Sandra was saying, the one who asked the question, that's why uh, Rodney Reed was framed and many more because of white women. Um, And then there's Karen Winston. She was talking about her brother being wrongfully convicted, wrongly arrested based off a a witness, sole witness who was a crackhead. And she goes on to say that he never had a trial. He was released after three years because the person disappeared, the witness. Yeah, it's, it's after three years of being incarcerated, you know, your, your whole life could be destroyed. Yeah, and basically that's what she said. You know, it's like three years is a long time. You know, people don't, don't look at it as a long time, but it is. Mm-hmm. You know, in those three years, that man, whatever he was doing, he might have had a job. The job wasn't there no more. The stigma was on him that, you know, he was accused of whatever it was that he was accused of. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, he's a man of color. He's black, as they call us. Mm-hmm. You know, so how many strikes do we get? So now, you know, especially if you're in a small town and everybody knows everybody, he probably can never get a job in his, in his hometown again. Yeah. 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 So on yeah. top of on top of the the, the um, humiliation and degradation that he dealt with being in, in, in incarcerated in whatever holding facility he was in for three years, now he's back out. And I don't know who who who, who this guy is I'm talking about, but I'm just saying in, in general this is what happens. Now he's back out and he's stigmatized and he's probably having all kind of. Um, mental issues, emotional issues, because, you know, he was a man of a certain standing before this happened to him. Mm-hmm. And it's, 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 it's not easy for a lot of people that come out of those situations to get back to life. Exactly. You know, and, you know, you know, JLo, can I just say something? Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I have a background in scouting, you know, um, old Eagle Scout. Okay, proud of that. One of the things in scouting we do is understand things about nature, which is why I segue that thing about the crows and the bluebirds, okay? (laughs) Uh, Because there's not one of us that have not looked up in the sky and see a bunch of bluebirds chasing a crow. Why? Because they really don't want them in their neighborhood around their kids. 
So if you ever, anytime you ever see a big bird in the sky and a whole bunch of small birds diving at the bird trying to get away, it's because they saying in get out our neighborhood. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. And so either when your utility is used up, either you will leave voluntarily or you will be forced out. Okay. Right. Or you will be forced out. So one of the things, you know, that, that, you know, in my younger life and studied, uh, is the treatment of elephants. You know, I mean, I used to go to the circus and see, you know, the elephants being, you know, with the people riding on them and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, um, to its credit, the Detroit Zoo doesn't have elephants anymore because it's inhumane, by the way. But in any event, I remember seeing and hearing about this elephant. They had these programs to try to liberate these elephants, you know, to try to reintegrate them back into the wild. And what was so sad, they showed an elephant that had its leg chained up like a chain uh, to a big spike uh, in, in the ground. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so elephant can only move a certain distance. Do you know when they removed the chain off that elephant, that elephant still refused to move? It still refused to move, even though they're trying to prod it and push it because that elephant had been programmed so much. That chain, even though it physically wasn't on that elephant anymore, it refused to move past that boundary. It refused to move. And so when I hear the brother talk about the way that stigma comes in, it, it is. And, and, and he knows from his penitentiary experience, and I know from mine, that's a hell of a mojo to come out of, man. That's a hell of a mojo to come out of. And, and the thing of it is, is that people can try to say how strong they are and, you know, you know, you know, I'm this and I'm that. Well, good. But I'm telling you right now, I'm not ashamed to say I cried in the penitentiary. I'm not ashamed to say that, you know, in, in the solitude of my cell and my pillow dealing with with mental health issues. And so anybody to tell you they come out the penitentiary, not your mental health issues, they're, they're delusional. They, they are delusional. They are delusional. Nobody comes out of that system scar free. The only question is, what can you do to overcome that scar? And some of us, I'm going to tell you, I'm just very transparent. From my penitentiary experience, there are still times when I'm out in the street and I'm looking at the clock. You know, why? Why? Because I'm thinking of count time. <laughs> wow. You know, <laughs> you know, the brother knows what I'm talking about. I'm thinking I'm thinking of count time, you know, and I got to even remind myself, loadies many years later, you don't have to account to them. But that those officers, that that siren, that emergency count that be on your bunk, you know, you know, no, you ain't got permission to go to the bathroom. I still live with that. I do. I and that's, that's a real thing right there. They deny you the, the right to go to the bathroom. That's right. And, you know, people have, you know, peed on themselves, um, peed in garbage cans, peed in cups, peed in whatever they could, you know, that's because right. That's right. they're telling you you cannot go to the bathroom until they're finished with their count. That's right. That's right. So you got people that's um, in authority over you that can't go by and say one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, up to maybe a hundred and something. They can't even get a, a, a good count up to a hundred and something. Mm -hmm. But they're looking at you and treating you like you're an animal. That's right. That's right. I mean this. I mean, really, and it, and and it's like 
some of it is subtle, but some of it is really overt. Mm -hmm. And some of it you got to pay attention to, but some of it is so overt that you can't you can't miss it. Mm -hmm. I just want to say, um, people look at you know you are so strong, like that's a badge of honor to be in this position, and that's not what it is. You know, that's how you have to survive. It's not, you know, a badge of honor to go through all of this and then come back and say, you know, oh, you were so strong. No, I shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. That's right. So we we have to look at, you know, there was a situation and a circumstance and people that put me in this situation. And I don't want to be held as honored because I went through it. I want accountability. That's what we should all want, accountability. Yes, indeed. Because once we get accountability, then we can stop this cycle. We'll have people who care about justice and care about, be concerned about people and not about their careers or their next move or being a celebrity or on the news or, you know, get awards. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because people get awards for this stuff, too. Oh, no doubt. They rate, they rate, they rate the prosecutors. Right. They, have, they got them on the internet where where they rate their conviction rates. Mm-hmm. Some of them have ninety two percent conviction rates. Some of them have ninety seven percent conviction rates. How is that possible in a right. fair system? Right. That's that's impossible in a fair system. Right. Exactly right. right. That that is exactly right. And 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 let me just chime in on this here, please. With the brother speaks the truth. Because in the state of Michigan, you have an automatic, a constitutional right to appeal. If you're convicted like of a, of a felony or, or even a misdemeanor, you know, you, you, you have a right to appeal to, to a higher court. Why in the world would there be a right to appeal if the system was damn near pure as ivory snow? Okay. Right. Why, why would there be an automatic? See, see, it's two kinds of appeals, an automatic right to appeal and what's known as a leave to appeal. OK, where you've got to get permission from the court in the state of Michigan. Let's say a person is convicted of a, of a B&E or something like that. You have an automatic constitutional right to appeal. They cannot deny you the appeal. Now, they, they, they may deny what you want on the appeal, but they cannot deny you getting your issue in front of the court of appeals, you know. And so, so you know, as, as we all know, the, the, the trial courts in Michigan for felonies, you know, is the circuit court, the Court of Appeals, and the Michigan Supreme Court. But in New York, the Supreme Court is, is the initial trial court. You see what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. um, so, so the, the name can be kind of confusing with some of these jurisdictions. But, but when this brother here talks about what happens to people when they get caught up in that system, that is exactly right. Because I'm telling you, once you get past that trial level, you become a number and a stat. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. The, the appellate courts won't even see your face. They won't even see your face. They'll read some argument that your lawyer writes. And by the way, by the way, if the system is 97, 98% correct, what about the overly convicted? Okay, the overly convicted. You got to consider them. People that may have done something but they damn sure didn't do what they was convicted of. Okay. You know, they're victims also. 
Okay. See, and so when you've got a system like that, if they say, well, it's 97% accurate, even if it is, I have yet to have one of my conservative brothers and sisters say they'd be willing to put themselves, their family member in that 2%. Mm -hmm. See, see, so the next time somebody runs that BS on me about it's mm -hmm. a 97% or 95% uh, fair, well then put your behind that 5%. Okay. okay. Well, let, let me let me comment on that. Um, and you're correct, but I'm just going to expound on it. Um, the way that the, the, the I don't know what to call them. I don't want to, you know, um, offend anybody. But the way that white people look at it is if you're overly convicted, but you had a jaywalking ticket, you might as well be guilty anyway. They, it's, there's no, you know, there's no uh, uh, compassion, and I'm and I'm saying there's a, there's you know, there are people that don't subscribe to that rule, but the majority. We're talking about the majority here. There's no compassion for, you know, per people of color. They look at us as criminals anyway. So if you were um, overcharged and, and and ended up being convicted of something that you actually didn't do, but you may have done something else. Oh, that's good enough for them. They don't even want to hear that. Oh, well, you I actually didn't do that. But oh, but you did that. So it's like Trayvon Martin. Mm -hmm. It was all right for that white man to kill him because they said he had smoked a joint before. Right. Right. And you sit there and you and you hear this stuff and you are like, are you am I actually hearing this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He got caught with a joint in the past. So it was all right for that white man to kill him. Mm -hmm. To track him down and kill him. You look at the officer Chauvin or whatever his name is that, that murdered George Floyd on on camera. And I've heard guards, COs, correction officers say that Chauvin didn't kill him. They're watching the same tape we're watching. The whole nine minutes and however many seconds tape, they're watching the same tape that we're watching. And they, in their uh, uh, view of things, he didn't kill him. Mm -hmm. And I've heard some of them say, because they talk around us like, you know, we're farm animals, like we don't understand English and we can't repeat anything they're saying. They talk, you know, in front of us, like, you know, oh, they're, they're just chickens in, in, in the hen house, you know. So I heard another one saying that, oh, he would have died anyway that day. He had drugs in his system. And in their minds, they justify and make it all right for that white man to kill that man like that. Mm. And, and these are the conversations... These are the conversations that we can't have with white people. They don't want to have these conversations. How do you look at this and see that this was all right? And you know what? The thing is, it's so important you said that, Dwayne, because they don't want to have the conversations. And yet Jay and I was talking about this a couple of weeks ago. Yet when you go in other countries that are making headway as far as discrimination and discriminatory practices are concerned they are making changes they're making changes in the penal system they're making changes when it comes to to um 
to prison. They're making they're making some changes. And so um, I think one day we'll probably start highlighting some of these changes so people can see some of the answers that are happening in other countries. And the reason the reason why they are making change is because they are having the conversations that make you feel uncomfortable. Right. And what people need to know, I don't care where I go. I don't care about your level of being comfortable. Okay, this is no longer an option for me. We're going to have the conversation. We're going to have the conversation. If, if I see it, I'm going to acknowledge it and I'm going to tell you that you're wrong because we're going to have the conversation. I, it's no longer can we allow it to just go by or maybe they'll get it after a while. They're not going to get it after 400 years. I don't know if they are deranged. I don't know what is going on in the psyche. But if you have not realized habits of bias after 400 years toward a people, then something is mentally wrong with you. I don't even know why it's not in, in the DSM. There needs to be some type of medical diagnosis for a person who cannot understand when they are unethically discriminatory against a person. Mm -hmm. And so we got to we got to have the conversation and you got to make them feel uncomfortable and, and don't don't apologize. The problem mm -hmm. is that we have spent a long time apologizing in our conversations at schools trying to fit in you're not gonna fit in every time you try to fit, i tried to fit in i tried to fit in in high school for about a week till they started throwing bagels at me on bagel day well listen this is this then is I, a, I realized it didn't i wasn't gonna fit in this so is a, then i had to get up and punch somebody then they want to kick me out <laughs> This is a mentality that's been like like we spoke about last week. It's been handed down for generations. Um, yeah. You know, somehow they got the enslaved our enslaved ancestors to feel compassion for them more so than for themselves. And when Massa was sick, they say we were sick. So, <laughs> as black people as a whole, I'm not saying individually. Nobody on this panel individual, but I'm saying as a whole. We want to be accepted by them. Every time, I mean, it's, it's it's so crazy because I look at it for I would look at it for what it is. You know, every time a white person does something that's uh, considered black, black people love them, love them, buy they buy whatever they selling, go to their movies, buy their music, whatever they selling, we we love them. But it's not the same the other way around. You can get a black person singing uh, um, standards and the white people are not going to buy it. They don't go to our movies. Matter of fact, black uh, black uh, movies with black cast don't even get released overseas. The only movie that, that with a black cast that ever got released overseas was uh, the Black Panther. And that was because it was a Marvel movie. Yeah, so uh, the mentality is that we want, we love them as a whole. Black people as a whole, we love white people. Love them. Want to be accepted. They can dog us for their whole life. Be on their deathbed and show one little 
snippet of, of compassion and black people, oh, I love, I forgive you. I'll... We love them. Black people are the most patriotic people in this country. We are the most patriotic people in this country. This country has um, dogged us for hundreds of years and we still love this country and we still love white people. In the county that I got convicted of, that county has been ran by five families for over 50 years. They're all intermingled. They're in the, in the courts. They're in the, the appellate courts. They got the commissioner's office. They got all the contracts for construction. They got everything tied down. My judge right now, listen, my judge right now, they're probably calling him a nigger lover because he has some integrity and some honor, which his profession he's supposed to have. Mm-hmm. These are the type of men that we should be promoting to higher office. Not the ones with the 97% conviction rates. This man stood against 50 years of corruption and said, I got to do the right thing in this case. Let me go. Not only let me go, let me come back home to New York. This man has integrity. This man has honor. And I, you, I, I would put the house on it if I was a gambler that he's catching all kind of flack from his his family, from the other families that have been in control for all of those years, all of those decades. And I knew this would have took so long for him to let me go because they were pressuring him. Please don't do it. This Negro here, he's something different. We talked about this the other day, Dwayne, um, that they rather see an innocent person or they're they're a let an innocent person stay in prison yes. before they ever say hey i made a mistake made a mistake they won't say it. They, they're not going to say it you won't say you're it. not going to get an apology <laughs> you're going to get some offbeat thing that said hey you know blah 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 and because of this they're not going to admit that they did an injustice or you know, I'm sorry. The person who does that—that's the person that we need to be looking at. Yeah, yeah. those but are the people. Not, yeah. Yeah. yeah, these people that just well, you know, how they uh, what is that um, without innocence or with innocence without prejudice or whatever, uh, Attorney Matt? Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. You're 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 talking about a dismissal without prejudice, without right. prejudice. Which means they can they bring it back up at any time. Bring it back up any time. And, and look, look, look. Excuse me. Excuse me. I'm so glad we're having this discussion. Excuse me. I'm sorry. When we heard what this brother said on this podcast over the last uh, three or some years, have you ever heard anybody say that black people are the most patriotic or blind people in the country? Have you ever heard anybody on this podcast say that before? Yeah. You know. Well, 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 well. Actually, they have. Right. <laughs> so to hear that from another man who has suffered injustice, not that y'all didn't believe me, but I'm saying is right. We are the most obliging patriotic people in the history of mankind, of mankind, you know, the African-American, you know, and like, like the brothers talking about Malcolm, you know, I've been, 
I've been a student of Malcolm for, 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 for quite some time, you know, and the conversation about the house Negro and the field Negro, you know what I'm saying? And so when the brothers say, when the masters say, we say, is we sick boss? Is we sick? Is we sick? And, and Malcolm would talk about if the master's house got on fire, the house Negro would fight to put the fire out more than a master would. He said, but the field Negro, while the house Negro was trying to put the fire out, the field Negro was hoping for a strong breeze. <laughs> so what I'm, what I'm saying is when I hear this brother speak and y'all speak, it's so enlightening and, and energizing my spirit because I see there are folks out there. Y'all get it. You see it for what it is, you know, and, and, and I guess... For me, one of the things that hurts me is how much self-hate I see in my own community, yes. how much self-hate and what the man said is true. And I'm not disparaging anybody. If somebody's talented, that's wonderful. You know, Tom Jones, Eminem, uh, Justin Bieber, uh, Vanilla Ice, on and on, Sonny and Cher. Michael Bolton, we love him. Yeah, on and on. And you know, you know what, you know what? And I'm not downing love. Please don't misunderstand me. But love that is one way is not love. It's worship. Okay. It's worship. And so what I'm saying is, hey, you know what? I kind of like that. I'm, I'm, hey, you know what? I'm going to write that now. I like that. <laughs> I'm gonna name I wrote one. it down I'm for you. I wrote it. I got you, Attorney Mac. I got okay, you. Okay, so. Look, I got one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh. The first Real black president, president. the right. first black president. That's right. He was playing that saxophone. Yeah, and, you know, you know, and and, 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 and writing the crime bill. And, you know, writing the crime bill that's still in effect today. He yeah. signed. He signed into law that the states, if they would keep the prison beds ninety-two percent occupied and keep the parole rates low, they could get grant grant money, money in the form of grants. So. This grant money is still being given to the states today. The money goes to the governors of each state first, and then it trickles down to whoever else that palms is getting greased. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Bill Clinton, you know, and, Bill Clinton. and yeah, and, and so there, there, there's no question as the Democrats having a dirty finger in this pie. Also, I mean, there's well, no and 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 the thing of it is. Our job is to call it out, whatever the party is, okay? But, you know, when when I see a man who was a former president of the United States, disgracefully, wear, wearing a MAGA hat, you know, and going around talking about MAGA, to me, when I see him wearing that MAGA hat, all that means is my ass got arrested. And so, so for me, so for me, <laughs> that's, that's what I feel should be in that man's future. And it's not about prejudging people. It's about a history of wrong and blatant wrong. And so whether it's a Democrat, Republican, Independent, I don't care. When the wrong is there, we have a duty to discharge the exposure of that wrong. And J-Love, what you said is so right. These people will not admit they're wrong, even with qualified immunity, even with qualified immunity that protects them anyway, anyway. As long as they can try to say, I was doing my job, I had the authority to do it, it was not malicious, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. J Love, et, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, right, right. Blah, blah, blah. Walk, walk, walk. Right, 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 right. right. Mm -hmm. Just like just like um Charlie Brown when uh the adults are talking to them kids. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> 
yeah. whatever that is. So yeah, yeah. So you know what? When I see, hear this brother, you know, speak about that whole situation and that judge, you know what? I pray for him. I don't even know what his name is, but yeah. I, I, I pray for him. I pray for him. I pray that they don't kill him. That's right. That's right. That's right. See, because I know they're hating him right now. That's right. That's right. You that know, is the only man in that whole county with some integrity that I that I know of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, you know, no. and it's like this is why I took the initiative to um, be an open book. So can't nobody control my narrative? Exactly. It's out there already. Exactly. I, if I can tell the truth on myself, I can tell the truth about anybody. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So you know, even with these presidents, you know. Clinton, he the first black president, and now then we had Obama. He was this actually the the second black president, and you know <laughs> it's it's crazy because people people defend Obama, you know, tooth and nail, tooth and nail. They defend him. This man that, that oh he couldn't get nothing done because of this. He couldn't get Obama had the House, the Senate, and the Attorney General his first term. And didn't do nothing. He didn't do nothing. And then the second term, he lost the House or the Senate, and he blamed everything on that. Mm -hmm. And they talk about Obamacare. This is his greatest achievement. <laughs> Come on, well, man. Uh, are you supposed to be the first black president? And 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 and, and you know what, brother? You can do anything to correct. Anything that's been going on in this country for all these hundreds of years against black people? And you had the House and the Senate and a, a black attorney general your first term? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Come on, man. Let's keep it real. Let's keep it real. You know, you know, and along that line, brother, in the state of Michigan right now, as you know, everybody, for the first mm -hmm. time in like 40 years, Democrats have run the table in the Senate and the House, the governorship, the attorney general, secretary of state, too, by the way. OK, all Democrats, not razor thin margins, razor thin margins. But I'm going to say it again. In the first hundred days, the Democrats brag about everything they've done and they've done some great things. Now, don't don't get me wrong. They eliminated right to work, which was a plague on the state of Michigan for 12 years, which actually is the right not to work. OK, how dare you say you can be in a union shop with union members that are bargaining for benefits for everybody, but you ain't got to be no union member and, and, and you ain't got to pay no type of dues. What, right. what is and wrong you with you? Union representation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what you I'm saying? Union representation and everything, but you don't have to pay union dues. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. You, know, you know, you know, which was a direct attack on unions, by the way, right. which going to be Democrats. But, but anyway, my, my point is along with that brother is saying, they passed, you know, eliminating right right to work laws. In November, they had a constitutional amendment to the state constitution enshrining a woman's right to choose. And I'm going to say it again. That Dodd decision came down in like June, about maybe a year ago today or a year ago mm -hmm. in June. We had that election in November, November. You know, you know, it takes time to get something on in front of the people to get enough signatures in the state of Michigan to put something on a ballot. And I'm saying they only had about two months, maybe two and a half months to get that to get that issue on the ballot. They had the political will 
had more signatures than any other referendum, constitutional amendment, in the history of the state, of the state, mm -hmm. putting that issue on the ballot for constitutional amendment. So well, what's your point, Attorney Mack? The point is they can do what they want to do when they want to do it. Without a just, doubt. Just like, just like I'm talking about right now. You all know I fought tooth and nail, and you all did too, to try to get good time, disciplinary credit restored, you know, in the state of Michigan. You know, the legislature took that away. You know that, you know, so mandatory sentencing. They took all that away. You know, I mean, imposed all that. Couldn't get a fraction of the signatures necessary to do it. Why? Why? Because some of the quote unquote colleagues we have out there, some people who don't necessarily look like us and some who do, some who do said that's not priority for us. Dealing with them people in the penitentiary is not priority for us. They don't, they, first of all, they don't vote. Okay. They can't vote and their families don't significant put enough. So I guess my question is, and I hope all you Democrats are listening. Hope you're listening. You got the chance right now to put in sweeping legislation. You got the chance right now to end qualified immunity. You got the chance right now to say we are restoring disciplinary credits. We're going to restore good time to people and give them hope, give them hope and a future to look forward to. You've got the opportunity to say if a person has a penitentiary experience, we will not let that stop them from sitting on a jury. In the state of Michigan, you cannot sit on a jury with a penitentiary experience. So let me get real personal. Y'all know my story, okay? As an attorney with a penitentiary experience, I can go into all 83 counties in the state of Michigan and pick a jury, but I'm not qualified to sit on one. Hmm. Yeah. So ain't that a B? Yeah. <laughs> ain't that a B? <laughs> so one thing, you know, and all of this, um, when we talk about good time and some other things that we want to have done. We have to, it also falls on us too, Attorney Matt. That's right. Because we have to support it. So the women who decided to, you know, that they wanted the, their rights, right? Yeah. And, and to have an abortion or whatever it was. Right, right. They put money behind it and they put people behind it. And yes, they did. Yes, money. they did. Yes, they, they did. They, they went from the top of Michigan to the bottom of it. <laughs> yes, they did. They was in the hood. They was everywhere. That's right. With That's those right. and having people sign, right? That's right. That's right. But when it's time for us to get on something or, or back something, we don't put the money in it. That's right. We have excuses. That's right. We kind of are programmed for our own demise. Yes, indeed. Because we are, we are talk against it. We want to know who's leading it. And right, that's who's right. This and who's you know we want to have, and we can't stand behind it. That's right. And so you know we have to. The reason why we do come here on Fridays is to have these conversations because we have to eliminate this defeatist mindset that keep us in lack and keeping us limited. That's and right. Keeping that's us behind. And so we we could put things on the ballot and get signatures too. Mm -hmm. If we got off our butts and did it, if we got up and said, hey, let's organize. That's true. And, and if we didn't have to tear down every person that said it, yeah. and, you know, down to the ground, the leader, the person who decided that, hey, mm -hmm. you know. You got, you got to understand, Jay Love, that it's been ingrained in us. It's been beaten into us. 
you know, to not trust each other, to not care for each other, to hate each other, to hate ourselves. Right. That's right. Mm -hmm. We hate we we as a whole, as a whole, as a whole people, not saying you individually or you individually, but we hate ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's why we can look at another black person just walking down the street, never seen them before in life. And there's tension there. Because you're looking at a reflection of yourself and you hate yourself. So now you hate him. That's right. That's right. Who taught you how to hate yourself? Right. Right. That's right. That's right. What hey, thing hey, you do to a person? Hey, hey J-Love, Mal Mal Malcolm asked it, you know, who taught you to hate yourself? Hey, J-Love, who taught you to hate, hate the shape of your nose, the color right. of your skin, the texture of your hair? Who taught black you to hate yourself? You big lip, black this. You nappy headed that. You black such and such. It's, it's been it's been hundreds and hundreds of years. And when you, when you put poison, yeah, when you put poison into a pond or a lake, and then you decide today that we ain't gonna put no more poison in it. Oh yeah, we did it for a hundred years, or two hundred years, or three hundred years, or four hundred years, and you decide today to stop putting poison in, in in that lake or that pond. The pond is not gonna be cured tomorrow. Right. 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 It's going to be the residual effects of that poison for hundreds of years. Right. Yeah. So this is in our DNA, you know, and we have to do things to change our DNA, to heal ourselves, you know, to change the narrative, to tell our stories, to control our own story and our own narrative, not wait for somebody else to tell their story. Like what you're doing, Dwayne, you're like, I'm telling my story. Because I don't want anybody else to, to control the narrative, to control, you know, me and what happened to me. That's power. And we have to, you know, not, like you said, there's no quick fix, but we have to start doing the work and order generations for now. You know, we'll have our kids and our grandkids and their kids to be able to live the life that we dream. Because my ancestors dreamed the life that I'm living now. So we have to keep this going. You and know, keep getting better and better. Right. And we have to put our time and money and actions behind it. And we got to teach our kids. We got to teach our kids, they love to quit doing things that they're ashamed of. Right. Quit doing shameful things. You know, it's, it's it's these people that's walking around with all these skeletons in their closet that are the are the most you know the lowest form of scoundrels on earth, because they got these skeletons in their closet and they want to portray that they, you know they're upstanding and they they they, they you know they're upright, but they got these skeletons in their closet that they don't want to come out. So we got to start teaching our kids: don't do something that you're ashamed of. You know, all the time I spent in the, in those penitentiaries, you know. I never lowered, lowered my standards. I never lowered my morals. I kept my morality. I kept my, my humanity. I kept my manhood, yeah. you know, when many didn't. And this is why, you know, I say I control my narrative. My narrative is out there. Nobody can't change it. It's so many people that know me, you mm -hmm. know, and know what I stood for and how I carried myself. That if somebody comes up now and, and, and tries to tell a lie on me, so many people are going to know it. He's going to be shamed. Right. This is how, this is why you have to live an open book. Absolutely. Go ahead, Reverend Tia. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I just wanted to say that um, I thank you, Dwayne Brooks, 
Thank you for your for being who you are. And it is about your beingness. And we got to stop it. You know, when he was talking, I was just saying that, you know, it's who we aspire after. And looking at our children and giving them the role model should not be somebody who they can't touch and see and can't talk to them. That's not a role model. Right. A role model is not someone who is quote unquote famous. And, and, and people who are famous does not mean that they are thinking right. People who have money does not mean that they are morally right or that they make ethical decisions. Yeah. When you talk about generation after generation after generation, if you haven't, look, I used to tell my sons certain things we don't do because it's not kosher. It ain't cool. It's not kosher. You know, we don't do it because the king's children, we don't do that. According to our faith, we don't do that. Not according to the religion or the dogma, according to uh, the spirituality that is within us, we don't do that. You have a guide on the inside of you that helps to navigate, helps you to navigate right and wrong. Exactly. And so there's certain things we're not going to do. Now, I'm not saying don't do it because I told you so. I'm saying don't do it because that's what we don't do. When I say we, then, then they're, they're watching mama, they're watching daddy, mm -hmm. you know, and then they're going to follow what you do. Yeah. <laughs> and, we, and then eventually that's what happened. We became the role model. They weren't looking outside of themselves for the answers. They're not looking on TV. They're not spending money according to how everybody else is spending because mm -hmm. they're looking at what do, what do we have going on in our family? And you got to, you got to, you got to behold the good in your family. I don't care how much money you have. Right. When I was growing up, it wasn't about the amount of money as much as it was the standard. Mm -hmm. Because like I tell people all the time, you were not going to eat at Mary Wallace's, my grandmother's table, if you did not do right in the community. Now, Miss Tia Little John Till, I got to come in on that. Listen, beautifully, <laughs> beautifully. Now, but I'm going to expound on that. See, it, it ain't just what you do when people are watching you. It's what you do when, ain't, when you know ain't nobody watching you. That's where, where your honor comes in at. If you're doing the right thing when you know ain't nobody watching you, that's honor. Absolutely. You got all these people that get out in front of the cameras or get out in front of, you know, a bunch of eyes and they want to, you know, portray like they're doing the right thing. But it ain't what you're doing when everybody's watching. It's what you do when ain't nobody watching. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. All right. It's about the humanity in you at all times. At all times. Showing up as, you know, as, you know, your authentic human self with kindness and compassion for each other. Not, you know, but then again, you got to take it back. You know, if you're loving yourself, these things are automatic. You know, when you're loving yourself, you, you're kind. You have compassion because you can't love anybody else if you don't love yourself. That's right. And that's what I'm talking about. Right. And it goes back to you. That's what I'm talking about. If you, if you don't really love yourself, it's like it's like with me. Like, I wonder for a long time why certain people didn't like me. I had never done anything to them. 
you know, we never had any bad words or any, you know, bad situations, but they didn't like me. And it took me to, you know, 20, 30 years to finally realize like, wow, they don't like me because they're not like me. And every time it proved to be that these people that didn't like me, they had those skeletons in their closet. Mm -hmm. And they knew what I didn't. They were messing around with, you know, each other, you know, men messing with men. And they know I didn't. They were drug addicts. They were rapists. They were pedophiles. All of this stuff, they could see that I, I, don't, I, I don't do that. So they automatically take a dislike to you because you're not like them. Misery yeah. loves company. Yes. That saying and is then, true. A crackhead wants everybody to be a crackhead. Right. That way he don't have to have no conscience. So yeah. this is what's going on, you know, in, in, in this world today. People don't like each other because they got some character flaws, I'll, I'll, I'll phrase it as, that you might not have. Right. And then, Dwayne, you're having this experience and you're innocent. And the whole time, I'm like, <laughs> it's crazy. It's, I, and when that show came on a few years back, how many years back, I said, that's me, the undercover boss. I ain't supposed to be in here. So now I'm just watching everything that's going on so I can get out of here and report it. Right. <laughs> the way that they do people. That parole board. That parole board is terrible. Terrible. I should have been home almost 20 years ago. My sentence was served. I balled out. I was what they call a, a, a model citizen. You know, and because I wouldn't admit that I, I did something that I didn't do, they kept giving me time. And if they had let me go at any one of those four parole board hearings that I appeared in front of them, they gave me 10 years the first time, four years the second time, five years the third time, and five years the last time in 2020. If they had to release me at any one of those times, like they were supposed to do, this evidence would have never surfaced. I would have never found it. So this goes back to what, what the panel was saying earlier about, you know, when, when, when the brother spoke about Joseph, you know, it's all in God's time. It's it, Allah is is the best. The man man plans a plan, and Allah is the best of planners. God, the Creator, the Almighty. Right. So what they did to me, you know, I gotta make them pay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is this is this is the way I can make them pay by getting out here in the community, making people aware, and by getting these 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 young kids while they're young. And pointing them in the right direction, and 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 letting people know that there's help out there for them, right. and that's my mission, right. you know. And it that's ain't gonna stop. Way. Yes, exactly. This is how you make them pay. So you I'm know, you change the mindset of other people. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to be in this system because you have so many other choices. Right. You know, you don't have to believe what they say. You know. Because you you're not doing good in third grade, you automatically gonna be you know in prison. That's right. You know, That's you're right. gonna be no. These we can change these narratives, but we have to change how we ourselves look at each other and how we mm -hmm. talk to each other and feel yeah. even about our own selves. That's even right. about our own selves. That's right. That's right. So what, Reverend Tia? 
I was saying, that's right, girl. I, you know what? I am so just blessed and elated that we were able to have this conversation today. That's right. Because we got to keep shining the light. Got to keep shining on light, the light on the wrongly convicted. And I love how the way you reframed it while you were serving your time. Mm -hmm. You were able to reframe it and, and look at it in a way of purpose. And that I'm I'm here for a purpose, and that when I get out, it's on, it's mm -hmm. on. And oh. I'm so glad that you held firm to your statement because many people just go ahead and they say they go before the parole board and they want to get out so bad and they go ahead and say I did it or the, to try to appease them. And um, there's another brother that I know who's still in because of that same thing. <clears throat> and he has not gotten out. And yes, he has already served his, has already served those 20, 20 some odd years. Mm. And people need to know the truth about how extra time gets on, gets gets added to a sentence mm -hmm. and why it takes so long for a person to come out. Yeah. This is the truth. And this is what needs people need to understand this is why we have to be out here this is why we not only do we have to speak about it but we got to go vote we got to go after the prosecutors that uh, what are motivated so zealously they say to win a conviction by any means and that their conduct it says that in the one of the articles it said their conduct is such that intentionally or carelessly, they undermine the integrity of all the fact-finding processes so That's that right. the prosecutor inescapably will bring about a conviction of a defendant who is actually innocent. That means they take whatever means necessary so they can win. Yes, you know, indeed. I don't know if you've ever played, played Monopoly with somebody. I used to play Monopoly with my children. I have one son, the oldest, uh, look, the oldest by only 14 minutes because he's a twin. He <laughs> loved winning so bad for some reason because he cheated. By the end of the game, we realized and we realized early on that he could never be the banker because <laughs> he would end up with the most properties and the most money. We didn't understand how this was happening. But by any means necessary, he was winning the game of Monopoly. And out here in this life, by any means necessary, some of these prosecutors, and along with their homies, are winning at yeah. the cost of somebody else's life. And there's no repercussions for them. They have qualified yeah. immunity so that, you know, even though they're breaking the law, they're committing crimes, there's no, there's no repercussions. Nice. They, have, they have no repercussions at all. That's they have qualified that's immunity. It. Yes, and that's the thing right there. That's the piece. I've been talking about that too for a minute. That qualified immunity, we have to invest our time and attention into it. I, I Fox 2 was talking about it the other day. Governmental immunity. Same thing. Same you thing. Know, uh, we have to invest it. You know, if these things that that shooting didn't happen in Oxford, it might not even be a conversation now. But because of that, that's true. What happened in Oxford, mm -hmm. and those families can't get justice. Right. They're showing you, hey, there, there's a whole lot, a long line of people waiting for justice. There was one guy who's been waiting ten years, mm -hmm. you know, for his chance 
uh, holding somebody accountable. So the, when you have these prosecutors and judges and, and police officers and all of these government officials who can make all kinds of assumptions and errors and mistakes and be corrupt and do all kinds of craziness and there's nobody to hold them accountable, you have Dwayne Brooks. You have Gerard. You have um, Adidas' son, you know, Robert Greyhouse. You have Andre Nelson. You have all these people serving long prison times because there's nobody, there's no check and balance. <laughs> Excuse me. There's no accountability. You have Devontae Sample. You know what I'm saying? You have all these things that happen mm -hmm. because there's nobody. And you have us who are not even holding it. We just go blindly and vote for them again and vote for them again and vote for them again. And it, and it, and the cycle continues. So we have to do, yeah, you have Marvin Carter, yes. And so we have to, it's up to us too. We have to get back and start doing our due diligence. We can't just vote for no, everybody no more. You know, because they cool, because they go to our church, because, you know, they're, no, you, we're going to have to do our due diligence because our neighborhoods are suffering, our children are suffering, our, they're suffering in the schools. All these different departments of our local government are suffering when it comes to us. We're overtaxed, right. <laughs> underpaid, right. and kids are not getting educated. Right. What the oh. heck? <laughs> over interest rated we 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 get we get the 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 bottom of the barrel of everything you know we are the most abused people like as as uh mr max said in 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 the history of humanity <laughs> that's right. right that's right that's right, right. absolutely right that's right, you know, right. And, and we got all these so-called black leaders i reached out to all of them all of them if any one of them had to just said let me look into this i could have been home 30 years ago Wow, wow. Because the evidence was always there. Wow, wow, yeah. yeah. All of them, Yeah. You know, anyone yeah. you can name, Ben Crump, Al Sharpton, all of them. Yeah. All yeah. the organizations, NAACP. Yeah. They ain't got their boots on the ground no more. They ain't for the people. Mm -hmm. They celebrities. They famous, you know. They don't care yeah. about the people. If any one of them would have just said, let me look into this man's case, I would have been home 30 something years ago because yeah. the evidence was always there. Mm -hmm. And who wasn't trying to hear it? They, so, they got their heads so high in the clouds now, you know, they put on their suits and, you know, $2,000 to $3,000 suits. Yeah, they, they up there now. They ain't for the people. This is why we got to be for the people. Right. Yeah. And keep our boots on the ground. Exactly. No matter how much success we have. Right. Yeah. And we gotta keep on talking and advocating and educating until our people wake up and say, "Hey, I'm with you." <laughs> right. No, no, that's right. I'm with you. Right. I'm with you because if we don't, we're gonna get more of the same. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Here I am. I just I, I've been out since April 25th, so I'm up in in in, in New York. I'm right next to the biggest city in the United States. All the news, all the news uh, uh, organizations are up here. All the networks. Mm -hmm. Ain't nobody hollered at me. They know what they know what went on. 
Mm-hmm. When that prosecutor from 1988 got on the stand in November and said that it was their practice to withhold evidence, it was the practice of the prosecutor's office to withhold evidence. And that's how it was when he came into the office in 1980. And that's how it was when he left in 1989. When he got on the stand and testified to that fact, that's the shot heard around the world. Ain't nobody never had that. No. But Dwayne Brooks. And this is why I always knew it was bigger than me. I knew this was a godsend. Right. I told the attorney from the very beginning, I said, this is bigger than all of us. Mm-hmm. We just tools in it, mm-hmm. myself included. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna be back with Dwayne Brooks next week. We're gonna get deeper into this conversation of wrongful convictions. Dwayne Brooks' middle name is Gerard. So <laughs> told me that I was like, oh wow, this is instinct. <laughs> so, um, I'm so grateful that you you know you're here with us, Dwayne, and we're gonna just keep talking, we're gonna just keep talking about it. The wrongful, uh, these wrongful convictions. We're going to keep on educating our community just how important it is. Um, people need to educate their children. <laughs> so that's what we try, you know, how these things can happen. We have more and more kids, just like um, I was reading about the 10 year old who was trying to get to his mother and he drove the car from Grand Rapids trying to get to Detroit um, to get to his mother. And he was staying with other family members and they locked them up instead of taking them to his mother. And so they're crim- they're criminalizing our kids at 10, you know, mm-hmm. eight year olds, you know, kindergartners. They putting them in handcuffs. Yes. So we have to educate. There's nobody else kids in handcuffs but ours. Mm-hmm. We, are up under, we are up under so much stress in this country. I mean. There's a war going on that no black man, no black woman is safe from, no black child is safe from. They are at war against us and we are not putting up any resistance. None. I I, I, I got ready to jog down the street just the other day. And this is the the traumatic stuff that's going on for black people in this country. I got ready to jog down the street the other day and I had to think like, Oh, will they think I'm running from a crime? This is the thought that went through my mind. Yeah, yeah. But innocently wanting to get some exercise. Yeah. I better not do that. Yeah. Yeah. We traumatized in this country. Yes. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe somebody that grew up in the valley and, you know, think they're white. Um, Tiger Woods found out he wasn't white. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Tiger Woods found out that them white people look at him as a nigga. He might still want to be white. I don't know. But he Mm -hmm. found out. We all got PTSD and and, and, and whatever (laughs) traumatic... Well, uh, uh, right. phrases you could come up. We got it because we are we up under so much pressure in this country just being who we are. Right. Yes. And can 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 I just say this? Yes, Attorney Matt. You know, there's like five men in Memphis, Tennessee, right now, who really, really, really finding out they're not white. 
those five officers charged with killing that black man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the brother earlier talked about Derek Chauvin and remind me of so many other police officers, like those ones in Atlanta that shot that man at that, at that drive-in restaurant. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Okay. And the uh, GoFundMe and all the rallies to spearhead their criminal defense. Those black men down in Atlanta won't get a penny, a penny from a pauper from any of these, and I'm going to call it the way it is, any of these white police groups to defend them. They are really seeing how black they are right now. You see, because contrary to what they thought, that blue line, you know, you know, the blue line is talking about, mm -hmm. they're really realizing it's it ain't a part of it. It's not going to protect them. That's so right. It will not protect them. Right. See, so, and you know what? I'm sorry. I'm it's I'm heartbroken what happened with that man, but I'm gonna tell you this: my heartbrokenness is is I'm not saying it's comforted, but it keeps my spirits up knowing that that. What's going to happen with them officers? And it is going to happen. They're not going to get saved. They, they, a white jury will not save them. A, a white jury will not save them. All right, because they're going to be made an example of. All right, they're going to be made an example of. Nigga, how dare you think you're going to be protected by us? How dare you? Now, as long as you out there busting black head, that, that's good. Good, good. Keep it up. Keep it up. Keep it up. But don't dare cross that color line, okay? And start busting white head now, nigga. Okay. And then, and then when you get caught busting blackhead on tape, we're gonna fire your ass and we're gonna throw gasoline on that fire and you're gonna burn. You're gonna burn. And we're gonna use you as an example of we don't want bad cops either. Look, mm -hmm. look, we didn't support them. We don't want bad. And so they once again, a crow, a crow, thinking it's a bluebird. And finding out you really a crow and them black feathers and that black beak and them big ass crow feet will not fit in them tiny shoes and coats and hats. I'm going to say this <laughs> one last thing, J-Love. Okay. All the black people trying to go to Southfield. Okay. Remember that? Remember that? Southfield was the black man, woman's haven. Get out of Detroit. Go to Southfield. Well, guess what? Guess what? There's a city called Birmingham. All right. And they letting them black folk in Southfield know, don't come up in here. See, see, so so what I'm saying is we see a whole lot of wrong in Southfield. And one of our members, uh, 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 Sister Hughes, is addressing that. But I'm saying Southfield is getting blacker and blacker. And, you know, you talk about that idiot talking about building a wall. <laughs> they may they have to a, 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 a J-Love, you know, I predict that in the next two years, there'll be a referendum in the city of... <laughs> It isn't even a state. The people in Birmingham will fund this wall themselves. <laughs> right. Just, let me say this before we go. Mm -hmm. These people have a superiority complex. Mm -hmm. And we people have an inferiority complex. Mm -hmm. To whereas even the president of the United States, if he's black, the lowest worker in the, in the country will feel he's better than him. That Professor Gates, I think he was in Massachusetts somewhere, mm -hmm. at his house. That's right. Sure did. That white officer came to his house and roughed him up. Sure did. Sure did. Look at the inferiority 
that it took for a president to have that man at the White House. Drinking a beer. Drinking a beer. Sure did. Sure did. That's how inferior we 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 have become in, in, in our mind state. And that's how superior they feel that a lowly cop is better than the president, the sitting president. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Dwayne. Thank you, Rabbitia. Thank you, Attorney Mac. I appreciate you guys. Uh, I want you guys to turn back in, um, back in with us next week. Because Dwayne's going to be with us again. He's going to be with us for a while, probably. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> he is part of our us turning the moment into a movement. Um, don't forget about the love gathering, you guys. It's coming up. It's June. It's June is here. I think I've been, we've been talking about this love gathering since March. But it's just for everything that we've been talking about tonight, we need this. We need a space and a place to just feel love and be love. The love gathering is happening here in Handy Park in Redford, Michigan, June the 24th. Join us for the love gathering. Bring your favorite chair. It's going to be so healing. There's going to be a lot of stuff that's going on that's going to just make your day. So just be sure to join us. We're still looking for volunteers and supporters. So if you want to be a part of it, um, get with me. Um, send me a message, inbox me, call me if you have my number. Also, donate to the Voice of Detroit. We love Miss Diane. She has been doing um, this um, online presentation of um, talking about the justice system in Detroit, Michigan for over 20 something, maybe 30 years. Uh, but she needs donations to keep going. So um, www.voiceofdetroit.net is where you can go for that and be the change. <laughs> we have to be the change. So thank you, everyone. We'll see you next Friday, 6 p.m., turning a moment into a movement. God bless y'all. Oh, oh.